possibly hurt. I, I didn't mean to question it. When did you last have a period? Uh, I haven't had one in four or five months. And does it hurt when you have intercourse? Yes, it does. Where was I? You asked me whether or not it hurt when I had intercourse, and I said yes. that it did. What exactly did you have intercourse with? What do you mean? Well, I just wondered. I was once asked to treat a woman who had had course with a Labrador retriever and I thought maybe welcome to blood and black rum podcast Halloween 2022 special this year we're craving some Cronenberg we're bringing you Wes Craven and David Cronenberg movies all Halloween season from September through October 31st. Experience the visceral thrills with movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Rabbit, Last House on the Left, and more. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run Podcast. I'm Ryan from Clothesploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Oh, we're doing well, although I am a little bit sad. We are coming to the end of our Halloween festivities. It's uh very nearly here it always makes me sad when we get to halloween actually to be honest with you it's my favorite time of the year and yet once we get to the actual day it's like oh it's over that's it (laughs) so like the day itself is kind of like a letdown for me it's like i want to continue celebrating up to that point day itself yeah i was gonna say and now once it comes and passed you're gonna go straight into for the next two months, Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. it's we normally Christmas time. we normally do uh, a, like a, a Thanksgiving episode though, so we'll we'll get that in there before before we jump into the Christmas. Why spirit. would we ever do another Thanksgiving film after we've already hit the pinnacle with? Uh, it's so good I can't even remember it. <laughs> Thanksgiving. No. Oh, not that one. Sorry. You mean the one that we did last year, um, the slasher movie, right? No, no, no not no. that one either. What are you trying no. to think of then? I'm not even sure what you're thinking <laughs> of. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Dutch. Dutch. Oh, okay, Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great movie. I love it. I watch it every year. Such a bad movie. That's when you, that's when you knew he was he was creatively bankrupt. <laughs> Yeah, we got to figure out an, another Thanksgiving movie for this year. I'm running. I'm starting to run out. It's like, well, I mean, it's, it's not. A, there's not a a boatload of movies. We got. Well, I was gonna say John Hughes. You know, should you know done more holidays and just stick into the classics. But uh, um, there's always the Last Waltz and Alice's Restaurant. To yeah, do. I'm not really looking forward to doing any of those. Well, it'd be kind of hard to review a concert film. I would think so. <laughs> Just like, yeah. uh, here, uh, here they are, snorting co- more cocaine. I didn't enjoy any of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right, but what do we, we, we before we get into we, we got Thanksgiving's around the corner. We're just, we're, we're jumping ahead here. We're not we're, it's not a Thanksgiving episode. We're still smack dab right right in between Halloween, and we're still doing Craven some Cronenberg. And last week, or our last episode, we did Craven. So that means we're on the Cronenberg again, and this is the final one. This is the final. We've we, we've we've gotten done with Craven. We're we're finishing out with Cronenberg. And perhaps for you, that might be a good thing because you didn't really enjoy many of the Cronenberg movies that we did on the show this this time around. I liked Videodrome. Mm-hmm. Thought Scanners was okay. Mm-hmm. Rabbit, not so much. Mm-hmm. So. And we're finishing it out with with one other one. And then, as I say, with A Nightmare on Elm Street, that's Point for Craven, classic. Last House on the Left, thought was fun and enjoyable. Um. Deadly Friend, I liked. I thought that was pretty underrated. You didn't really care for. Mm-hmm. My Soul to Take, um, not, not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but seeing as we're gonna we're gonna stick to the whole conjoined soul thing. Yeah. And today we're gonna be doing Cronenberg's Deadly Ringers. No, Dead Ringers. Deadly get the, get the name. Get the name right. You always bother me about monikers at the beginning of uh, movies. I'm going to stick to you and make sure that you get the name correct on well, this one. Well, seeing as I prefaced it, it like you, is only right to botch the... Deadly Ringers. No, the, the whole idea behind the name Dead Ringers, I mean, it's, it's obvious why that they're dead ringers for each other. They look exactly identical. Don't you love the poster? Two bodies, two minds, one soul. I don't know if I agree with that part of it. So, Jeremy I mean, Irons is two people. Yeah, right, basically. <laughs> That's what I should have said. You Do you like Jeremy Irons? If you do, yeah, I, then... Oh, I, well, I, that was more rhetorical. But oh, oh, okay. I was saying, Sorry, do you like Jeremy Irons? Because if you do, this is a movie for you. Because there's two of them in here. And they well, both get to act like assholes in some capacity. <laughs> Well, as I say, if it's like like the late '80s, like oh yeah, what a treasure! Now you're like, eh, he kinda, he's taking the thespian route of many of great yeah. England's actors and just takes whatever shit they give him. You mean he's not doing things like The Lion King anymore? No, he's you know, being Alfred. Well, he was Alfred. He's not anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Yeah. But still, he did like just like Michael Caine before him. You know, did a great job and. But unlike Michael Caine, he was given some real shit to deal with. I mean, in the, in this movie, he does still come across as, you know, like, this is a pretty, um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of people call the horror genre, they, they think, like, it's sort of like a lesser genre, right? Like, especially with critics, horror has always been the lesser genre. Like, if you like, and it's, it's what we call genre fair, you know, like. Like comedies and horror are kind of like genre fair. It's like, oh, you like those things? Oh, that's nice. But I like real film, and they say it like that too. I like real yeah. film. Yeah. And uh, so, well, it's true. I mean, we we like real film. We like real film. Real film. Yeah. Like Crash. <laughs> but like, it's always kind of gotten shit, and especially for the Academy Awards and things like that. Like horror is just not something that is really recognized um 
maybe to a lesser extent now, like The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's film won the uh, the Best Picture a few years ago. Um, but for the most part, it's always kind of been given like, uh, horror, you guys live over there in that corner, um, you weirdos, you sickos. Uh, and it, it, Dead Ringers is another one of those movies that, you know, has kind of been pushed aside from the, um, you know, like from recognition. And yet it is a pretty um, dramatic film, one that you, you all things considered if it hadn't been directed by one by Cronenberg and then also had maybe some of the weirder body horror elements that it does incorporate into this movie. You could kind of see this being sort of like an Oscar bait. It's like it's kind of got some interesting ideas to it, some themes, um, drug abuse, um, stuff like that, that I, I think kind of opens it up a little bit towards more critic recognition. Kind of basic instincty. Yeah. But um, Jeremy Irons wasn't recognized for this movie, but he did get recognized after the fact. And a lot of people attribute um, his recognition in the Academy Awards the next year for his performance in Dead Ringers because people saw Dead Ringers and they're like, wow, that was a really great performance. Like, it was groundbreaking. You know, he's two people at once. And he didn't win for that, but they were like, wow, he did a great job. So let's recognize him for another movie that he's in this year. And then he ended up winning. So, like, it, it is a movie that I think would lend itself to viewers that aren't traditionally into horror or Cronenberg's, like, body horror output up to this point. Um, I think that it's a pretty, like, an easy, it's an easier film to get into for um, viewers who are looking for, like, more drama or more suspense, thrill-type um, elements than just straight-up horror. And it's it's definitely a, th- a, a thriller and not a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like a, a like a slower burn film that um, like Oscars tend to really like, and you know it takes its time getting there, and it employs a lot of unique um, ideas and concepts, and also uh, technology as well. Because at this point, the the whole having one person on screen twice wasn't really done too much at that point and unless you're peter sellers right but but here they basically accomplish that throughout the movie it's of having two jeremy irons on screen at the same time talking to each other and it was pretty uh pretty spectacular and um if you look at imdb you'll see that some of the trivia immediately uh points out that they used computer-controlled moving mat photography to capture this. So, um, you know, it's a really interesting uh, aspect to the filmography of Cronenberg not only doing this type of storyline, but also doing this experimental use of Jeremy Irons and in, in, in playing two characters. I think it's, you know, it's kind of a... It's something that we don't probably think too much of now, like looking back, like, oh, yeah... They put twins on screen all, all the time, and it's one character. But back then, it was definitely a lot more difficult uh, to accomplish. I, I think this film is the reason why in the early 90s, especially with sitcoms, you had a lot of twins on there portraying one person. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, Instead of Jeremy Irons portraying two people, it's Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen portraying... You think it baby. inspired them? They are like, yeah. hey, uh, we saw this movie Dead Ringers where... Jeremy Irons' character, these he plays twins, but like they just 
you know, swap each other out. Like, hey, you banging that chick? Swap me in, man. Yeah, I think that's what Dave Coulier said to John Stamos <laughs> when they were pitching that idea. That's right. Get this ki- <laughs> get two kids in here for the pr- you know, we'll we'll pay him for one salary, but get two kids in here and they'll take turns. <laughs> no, that was more so I think probably because they had like uh acting um you could only work so many hours, right? So it's easier to have two kids in cuz there's like, "Eh, that kid's been working for eight, 6 hours now. We're coming up on the the deadline. Uh, swap them out for that other kid, and we can keep filming. Get a fresh baby. In. Yeah, get that other kid in here. This one shits pants too many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Mary Kate, stop shitting your pants. That's why everybody liked Ashley better on set. Everyone knows Elizabeth is now the favorite Olsen. <laughs> that is true. That's true. <laughs> All right, uh, before we get into Dead Ringers too much here, let's take a break and talk about the beer that we have on the show today, because it's a special beer, special. Um, Anytime we get this brewery, it's kind of a special circumstance, and we always like to point it out on the show. So what do we got on the the show today? We have our local favorite, Mm -hmm. uh, Fiden's Brewing on today, but this time, it's not one of their... Very uh, well heralded IPAs. Uh, it's a brown ale that they did, and it's called Liam and Me. And it's not just a brown ale; it's a brown ale with coffee. That's right. Oh, and when I when we cover beers, especially like ones that are fairly local, I always get a little worried about people like listening on the other side of the the country or something. They're like, "What is this brewery? I've never heard of it before. I don't. We don't even get it around here." But now I'm starting to think with Fidens, like, maybe people are knowing, you know, in California. They're like, yeah, Fidens. I hear a lot about that brewery. So if they do, that's pretty cool. And I think that is a testament to the quality of beer that Fidens puts out. For being such a small brewery, it's really got amassed, like, a huge following. And, and truly all across the country. You know, it's not it's, people are getting this beer shipped to them. Yeah, back in... I'm just pulled up an article from 2021 from hopculture.com. Oh. Hype is hype is real. Fidens is the best brewery you've never heard of. Right. So I, I do think that in, in some circumstances, the right person listening on here hears about Fidens. They're like, yeah, I know that brewery. I've uh, I've uh, been f- tracking them on the, the, the Facebook group, and I'm getting a shipment in pretty soon from a from a mule. And we, we are lucky enough to live in a close proximity to it you know we're an hour away and i actually haven't made my way out to the brewery at all um you're a busy man i got kids i don't i don't have a saturday morning to run out there and grab beer but oh neither do i i work i I have to go to the dump every saturday so (laughs) it's either go to the dump or go to fighting so gotta get that garbage out we've had maggots (laughs) twice this year i can't afford it again Um, yeah, but no, but but yeah, we got the brown ale on the show today, which is something that we've um, really been interested in is is checking out Fidens because Fidens is super well known for their IPAs. We've had a couple on here, and like that's their staple. They do IPAs, you know, like Citra and uh, various other hop elements to them, uh, and and namely Nipas too. Like they, they they mostly do like hazies, but they have an occasionally branched out to different styles of beer and. This one in particular, the Liam and Me, stood out to me because they, it was a brown ale, and I've never seen them do. I've seen them do stouts before. 
I've never seen him do a brown ale. And that was really interesting. So yeah, you gotta say usually they do like if they have like a release, it's usually like uh, like five beers they release weekly, and like it'll be like four different types of IPAs, and then like a stout or you know something different. Yep. Uh, they had that. I think then they just recently also do like a rice lager. I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking Treehouse. I mean, they, they definitely do branch out in some capacity. Like they they'll normally have like one beer that's just significantly different from their IPAs and I think that's really where Fidens is interesting because I do want to see like I know that they do IPAs really well but I want to see if they do other styles pretty well too so that's why I'm always kind of like yeah I'll grab a bunch of the IPAs but then let me let me see that one that they've just put out that you know is not like their norm plus especially with like this one um, brown ales at least in these parts I, I I can't say that you really see anybody doing it, not too often. With a brown ale anymore. Mm. You know, after Newcastle went the way of the dodo around these parts, uh, you know. Yeah, not not too. It's often. a hard find. It's a hard to find one these days. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so that's that's why I wanted to grab this, and um, our friend was kind enough to bring mule us back a whole bunch of them, like probably five or six. Um, and you know, that was great to have, and we've saved this one, uh, for the show. And, um, what do you think? What do you think of this brown ale with coffee? I like it a lot. It's, um, seven and a half. You don't taste that seven and a half at all. Um, it's very good. The coffee flavor is very strong, which I like. Um, and it's like a nice, um, like artisanal coffee to kind of say. I mean, you know, don't want to sound too bougie and snobby, but it is. It definitely doesn't taste like they cram some chocolate full of, chock full of nuts in here mm. or Folgers or Maxwell House. Definitely tastes like, you know, a hint of Death Wish or Utica Roasting Company. Uh, but no, it, it is really nice, the coffee flavor. It definitely has, like, nice chocolatey notes to it. Definitely... Uh, Slightly biscuity, caramel. It's a well-rounded beer. Very easy to drink. Very smooth. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's really well-balanced. I think the one kind of thing that's kind of meh for me is I, I, I would like to see the mouthfeel kind of be a little bit stronger because kind of, it's a little watery. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying it has to be like heart, like as big body is like a stout you would expect of like that kind of ABV and flavor profile. But I think, you know, if it had a little more mouthfeel to it, a little more heft, it'd be better, but it's still a very good beer. I like it a lot. I like that they did it. Um, I would like to see other breweries, you know, kind of do brown ales. Cause it's a great, easy, fun drinking, uh, easy, you know, easy drinking uh, style that has been ignored greatly over the past, you know, five years. So I like it a lot. Yeah, I uh, I like it a lot as well. I think that this is a, a pretty solid brown ale style. Um, what you get most out of this is is really the coffee flavors uh, because the coffee is very strong, um, and, but, but in a good way. It doesn't have that um, very um, artificial flavor that some coffees can take on. Um, this one, it definitely tastes like a nice cup of coffee. 
And I think that the 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 only thing about the brown ale that I think might be uh, off-putting to some people, especially if they're not huge coffee fans, is that this does have a really strong coffee flavor. So if you if you don't really like that, um, I don't know if this would be the beer for you. And it also does tend to overpower some of the other flavors that you might get from a brown ale, which would be nuttiness, um, sometimes like caramelness from the from the malts. I don't get that a whole lot actually. I get mostly coffee. So um, I think that maybe. You know, just the balance a little bit on this, uh, depending on what you prefer, uh, might be a little off. However, I do have to agree with Martin, too. I do think that for the brown ale uh, style, this may be just, just a tad bit too watery, um, just a touch. I, I You know, because we don't need anything as thick as, like, you know, a very thick, hearty stout. But I do think that this probably is just a little bit on the thin side. Um, so that would be my only other complaint. But other than that, I really enjoy it, and I think it's a... A pretty good style um, that they've done and you know it's kind of like a cross between the uh, like their the regular brown nails style and um, like a stout or a porter so good job Videns and Martin you've had their newest stout and that was uh, really quite good right the sub check with uh, s'mores yes mm-hmm. that was phenomenal to, to borrow words from our mule Moody, uh, who Anytime he sees a stout that's like twelve percent, he <laughs> he's on it. <laughs> he's yeah. on it. He when he went to treehouse in the middle of that heat wave we had, it was like eight, 90 degrees yeah. out. He's First sitting thing at a he pic- went to. Yeah, sitting at a picnic table. <laughs> What's he drinking? Motor oil. No, it was really good. That was really good. You know, heavy, really well balanced. The, the s'mores paired it was great. It was amazing. It was a really mm. good stout. Um, not one that I'd be like after cracking one, be like, "Hey, let's have another," because I think it was like anywhere between nine and twelve percent. So it was really heavy, but it was really good because it was really well balanced. So great. All right, let's talk. You about- know, I was, I was oh. say speaking of, I was say speaking of coffee, I'm looking at Utica Roasting Company's coffee right now, and they have an apple pie flavor out right now. Oh, very nice for the, for the fall season. Excellent. Well, it's almost over with. I know. <laughs> I mean, technically, <laughs> fall goes through way into Thanksgiving. All right. You know what? And so, in summer goes until the end of September. But when's the ending of su- summer? Labor Day. I so, know. you know, I don't I know. make the rules. I We just, you know, follow them. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Dead Ringers or its Deadly subtitle. Ringers. Yeah, de- Deadly Ringers or subtitle. Uh, OBGYNs do questionable things. The how, I would say how the creepy uh, gyno porn genre started. Absolutely, this movie is very strange and unique as a storyline, and I know that it's based on a book by Barry Wood. It's based on a book called Twins. I don't know though if all of the things that are in this movie come from the book or if some of those things are infused by Cronenberg. He did co-write this with um, Norman Snyder and you know it's obviously like I said it's based off of that book but I'm not sure if all of the ideas and elements come from that book or if a lot of them are from Cronenberg himself because they they do seem to be Cronenbergian um, to you know for lack of a better term. But this is it's definitely a really unique and odd movie. Um, the film kind of starts you out by, you know, exploring Jeremy Irons' uh, character as a, as kids. Um, 
Beverly and um, Ellie. And you'll notice that they both have female-esque names, which is an interesting characteristic that comes up later on in the movie. But um, it kind of explores them as, as kids who are uh, experimenting, you know, within their studies. And they eventually, like, come up with a unique and, um, like, basically game-changing uh, in, uh, instrument for OBGYNs to do surgery. Uh, it's sort of like a speculum, but it's like a different type of... Spe- it's like a speculum that you use in surgery, basically. It, it looks like in how they kind of describe it is like it's meant to like move... Or- you know, basically, like move your organs around so you can get in there better. You're like, let's move this out of the way a little bit. like, And they kind of like shove it up into the vagina cavity and move stuff around so they can do surgery. And it's like their big accomplishment and they you know in school and that basically gets them their doctorate and they go into um fertility uh doctors they become fertility doctors basically so they're not technically like just standard OBGYNs. they're not just going to see you and be like yeah uh here's your pap uh we'll see you next year these guys are like the top of the line creme de la creme of like you're having trouble uh Conceiving? Well, go to these guys because they're gonna fix you right up. And the idea of I, I was gonna say it's weird too because we see him go from Toronto to Cambridge. Yeah. Which uh, we MIT. Saw, I, think, I I think I saw um, Patch Adams in the background. There. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying out his his laugh therapy and like yeah, like these kids are great. <laughs> Also, I do enjoy, too, seeing Jeremy Irons try to be young kids, like young 20-somethings in this school. <laughs> and they, he's not really pulling that off too well. Well, I like, too, the one – did you see the one, like, medical student in, like, 1967 where it says or 69 or whatever, and they got, like, that thick mustache? It's like, hold on. You got a couple more years before that really becomes in trend, all right? Like, they would laugh you out of medical school. Like, you're our best student, but with that mustache, you'll – You'll never have a practice. Get out of here. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that guy. You got the guy off to the corner with a nice thick womb room. Like, it's, like you know, rocking that age. What do you 70s. think he's – why do you think he's going into the OBGYN practice? He's got a womb room. He's ready to use it. He can smell He can smell the shit winds blowing into <laughs> what, you know, society's going to find acceptable. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, listen, by 1974, I'm going to be a hero. <laughs> but, like – I, I like I like the whole setup. Like we go through this whole process of like these twins. The they we 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 are. I think the the idea behind showing this to us too is to show how interchangeable Beverly and Ellie can be to the audience as well. Because for a long portion of the movie, at least for myself, I found myself not knowing truly which Jeremy Irons character is which when we were going through like the first part, meeting them and kind of like seeing them in their practice. And I think that's intentional because they they routinely trade off with each other. You know, it's like, oh, Beverly doesn't want to go do this, you know, talk. Oh, well, Ellie's going to go instead and do it because he's better at it. And so they they kind of trade off. And I found that really interesting from Cronenberg's perspective that at the beginning of the movie, we are kind of like given an interchangeable character with these twins. And you don't really know which is which. And then as the film progresses, you start to really 
figure out which one is which because it becomes pretty obvious as they as one character changes um, which one is which and that kind of like progresses into that element of um, becoming individualized and then later on becoming like a single entity again and that's the idea that is going on in this movie of of uh, individualization and then the um, sort of like the uh, the com- the conjunction of their intertwined uh, psyches like coming together. It's really quite a creative storyline from Cronenberg. Um, and the one thing that I think was really interesting about the be- the beginning of the movie starting out is that you see that um, these fertility doctors are you know pretty good at their job and they they really are. Um, I don't know, like the best of the best when it comes to their fertility uh, practice. And then over time, you start to see them kind of lose that ability, uh, lose the, you know, the, the, um, I don't know, the panache that they have for, for this practice. And it kind of gets to be uh, quite squeamish, especially if you're a woman, I would think. Um, you know, I'm not a woman, so I'm not coming from the perspective of ever having gone to a GYN before, but the whole idea of GYNs is very personal and very, um, uncomfortable. A lot of the time you have a person looking into your privatest parts, literally sometimes inside you. And it is a very personal, um, experience. And I think that Cronenberg really makes that quite apparent throughout this movie of the like the the uh perspective of a woman who um is experiencing this this you know practice so i I found that to be another really interesting and unique idea that that is kind of carried throughout the movie makes uh having to turn your head and cough and uh when you hit 40, getting a finger up your asshole seem not that yeah. bad. Men have it so difficult. I just want to point that out again. <laughs> we have to have a finger in our butt once, once or twice <laughs> every few years. No, yeah, no, women, women definitely have uh, a worse time of it, especially since this, you know, GYN visits are at least every year, potentially sooner than that. And this film kind of bring I like I, I do think that I like that Cronenberg does a good job of showcasing that it's very uncomfortable and he's like the movie does not have a lot of what you would consider like Cronenberg body horror elements to it, it has a few it has a, a couple of moments that you see like specifically body horror gore but it does have the idea of body horror throughout with the GYN practice of Things that your body has that are either you have to get treated or things that are really weird. Because the movie centers around Genevieve Buchholz's character, Claire. And when Jeremy Irons' twins see this woman, they're like, Wow, you have to go check out this woman's fucking uterus because it's so fucking weird. It's, she's a mutant. She's a mutant. She's, got, she's a trifurcate. Uh, she, which means, basically means she has three openings. And they're like, go look, basically, like, go look in this woman's vagina and go see this. It's amazing. 
And so, like, the beginning of the movie is really all about Claire being, like, this really weird mutant woman who has three openings. And she's kind of down for that, too. She's kind of like, that's that's interesting. And I, you know, she kind of has a, the weird Cronenbergian fetish thing going on where she likes to be uh, kind of a, slightly abused and likes to take drugs while she's having sex. And, you know, the whole the whole nine yards for fetishes. Listen, it wouldn't be a Cronenberg film without that, just like it wouldn't be a Wes Craven film without a drunk getting pushed downstairs. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> what did you think about the whole, you know, the high idea at the beginning, like where we, we meet Claire and they're they're just kind of like enraptured by like, yeah, this woman's, this woman's a mutant. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is an interesting idea. I think for a lot of people the whole gynecological aspect of the film is going to be a break make or break you know mm. and by make i don't mean like you're going to be enraptured by it but you're going to either be like okay i can kind of roll with the idea or if you're kind of horrified by it which it is kind of an odd concept but it is you know cronenbergian because if anything like every film that we've done so far has in some way de- dealt with fucking twat so uh, I mean you know it's so I mean like it's an interesting concept I think too you know uh, I don't know I'm trying well, I mean, having a hard time I'm having a hard time putting it into you're, into, you're having a hard time uh, processing it right well I mean I, th- I like like I do think too this movie is definitely going to um be something that people will experience differently right like for us as men and experience this quite a bit differently still there's a very cringeworthy scene for me when he's shoving that um instrument up up into this woman who he's examining like this is after he's kind of gone on like a, a drug binge and he's you know he's not really in his right mind and he's shoving this instrument that they've created up into this woman. And she's like, Oh my gosh, that hurts so bad. And he's like, it hurts. This does not hurt. And it's very <laughs> uncomfortable. The woman, the, the actress does a great job because she's very, she's selling this, that it hurts, <laughs> you know, but, but also too being polite about it. Like, sure. you know, like, like uh, cause I'm sure if that got shoved up my ass or something, I'd be like, you fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? She's like, yeah, that, 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 that kind of hurts. And he's like, what do you mean that fucking hurts? The only other time that somebody said that hurts is, to me is like somebody who fucked a golden retriever. Did you fucking golden retriever? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? I know. And, and then, you know, and then after like, you know, because we're watching and we don't really know what this this instrument does, right? Like we, we know that they designed it and we know that it's for surgery, but we really don't know. So like he's using it. And then later on he consults with his brother. And he's like, you use this on her exam? He's like, well, they even well they show because that's the thing that gave them the like the accolades of the war that they invented. But I mean, it's when he uses it during uh, during the work on the cadavers, and we get to see him at Cambridge at first. The doctor's like, yeah, that may work on a dead body, but that's not going to work on a on somebody who's actually alive. Yeah, nice, nice try. Yep, and I mean, like to be honest with you. This whole idea seems like Cronenberg saw a speculum for the first time, and he's like, Dear God, they use that on women? Regularly? In the office? And then he just came up with this more absurd idea of, like, it's a surgical. there's a surgical instrument that they've designed that's like a speculum, but... Um, 
you know, it's it's worse. It 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 basically moves moves stuff around in there. Like stuff that you just generally don't have moved around in there, it moves it around. That's kind of how I picture this device. And you know, so hearing that from the brother, like you use it on her exam, like of course it hurt. It's meant for surgery. Uh, when they're like you know, out, they're they're not conscious. Um, you know, it just makes that even cringier. And I'm not a woman, so I'm, I'm I assume for women that's like, whew, you know, a really uh, shiver fest for for them. Um, but like I said, I think that that the, pe- the people are going to experience this movie a little bit differently. Uh, s- 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 the same idea too, the concept of Claire as a as a character. I think it's pretty interesting because she's um, an actress and a woman who has gone to the OBGYN, finds out she's a trifurcate, and she's, like, kind of excited. She's like, well, that does that mean that I can possibly have, like, triplets? She, and they're like, no. <laughs> you're not going to be having any kids. Uh, you're, you're a mutant, and you're not going to be having – you can't have kids. And well, so – I'll say not only that. I'm surprised they didn't throw in too because, I mean, she is old in that, like in this. I mean, not not old, old, but I mean, she is. Oh, an like, older woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, yeah, I'm surprised. Like, listen, ma'am, pff, listen, you're over 40. You're lucky if a man looks at you anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, uh, ger- first of all, this would be a geriatric pregnancy, <laughs> risk like, of you, all kinds of developmental <laughs> issues. Not only that, you're also a mutant, so uh, – you won't be having kids, <laughs> but no, I mean, I th- but I think again, that, that concept too is also traumatic for women to go to the OBGYN. You think you're like, oh, I'm going to have a normal exam. Like everything's going to be fine. Just get things checked out down there and then find out, Oh no, it's not normal. And you cannot bear children. And like I, the movie does make a very specific, um, like mention of the fact that she is what you call mutated, like a mutant. Like not, nor, normal people do not have this um, trifurcate development of the uterus. And so I think like, again, that's another weird perspective from Cronenberg on body horror that sometimes your body is fucked up and still works. Uh, you could still live a normal life, but parts of your body are fucked up and i think that's uh something that makes dead ringers really interesting and has a lot of like gives it a lot of themes like this is a movie that is pretty much full of theme because it is so slow burn and you know it's not like wham bam here's a bunch of gore and and body horror stuff more like videodrome you get you get a lot of slow burn dramatic elements to this movie um and it's first and foremost a movie about drug abuse too because, you know, for a lot of the, the film, and you've watched this more recently than I have. Which is the one that has the drug abuse first? Um, Beverly. Beverly. Beverly is the one that kind of gets in with Claire and starts taking drugs. And, you know, he's, they've always been very specific not to take drugs because they don't believe in them. But they do take, like, pain medication because pain is unnecessary. <laughs> and... um you know, it, it's primarily a movie about Beverly's drug abuse and dealing with that, and especially as a provider, as a doctor. Um, and for the most part, like, if you cut out all the other weird stuff, it could just be a movie about drug abuse. Like, this doctor kind of succumbs to drugs and um, loses his practice, right? But it's more than that. There's a lot going on. 
Um, what, what did you think about the whole idea of, of drug abuse that, that crops up here with Claire and, and how Beverly and Ellie kind of deal with that? <clears throat> um, it's, it's a nice little twist. Um, very 80s, though, of like, because uh, at least in the time frame of it, because it seems like he goes from coherent doctor at one point to junkie the next <laughs> night after like taking a couple of pills. Like, you know, the... The time lapse on it. The time lapse on it is, you know, doesn't make the most sense, but you know, it, it's kind of nice, a little nice little twist, because um, for the most part, when we first get that interact, like at first, when we get to see them for like the first fifteen minutes, it seems like they're both, you know, they're identical twins, they're the same, you know, but as they start to interact with uh, with uh, Claire. We get to see that, you know, uh, Elliot, the older brother, is more more of a sociopath. You know, right. he's v- very yes. self-centered, very, you know. Right, which old. is why he's always the one that does all of, like, the public speaking and the, yeah. uh, you know, all of those Grand, types of things. The grandstanding and looking for the accolades because, you know, that's what he craves. And, he's, and he kind of revels, too, and, like, because uh, uh, Beverly, the younger brother, is more timid, more shy, more introverted. Um, and, you know, he kind of gets off on the idea of, like, you know, um, at least Elliot does, gets, gets off on the idea that, you know, because he's more charismatic, because, you know, he is sociopathic and, look, you know, sees himself as, you know, better he gets off on the idea that he find you know he finds these women and he takes them first and then passes that experience on to his brother to then like you know yeah like you know toil in afterwards and and then, and then gets a kick on the fact that he wants his brother to explain the experience to him because yeah. because they're tw- they're identical twins sure. they're connected you know yeah that that idea in, in dead ringers is that they ex- they all always experience the same thing right so it's it's mm-hmm. like he, one, Ellie has the first experience then passes it on to Beverly who has that experience and then explains it back to Ellie and they had the same experience and it's it's almost like they have to be a singular entity even though they're both individuals they have to experience it together and I think that's a really um, complicated idea in this movie and it becomes it like that it's that individualization that happens to Beverly specifically where he meets Claire has a different experience from Ellie that kind of messes with Ellie. Like he, he's not exactly okay with the fact that Beverly is kind of having this new and different experience outside of his realm and won't share it with him. And eventually once Beverly gets hooked on drugs, the fix is to get Ellie hooked on drugs because it's the knowledge of that experience to get him out of, you know, hopefully to get him out of the drug addiction. Um, which, at, which, as a doctor, he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know? True. True. No one no one said he was psychologically very good at this, at, at being a doctor. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea about individualization, especially with twins, individuality in general. Um, the The idea of shared experience and you know what that does um 
and and not only that, but like how the end of the film kind of draws another, um, you know, another comparison to Siamese twins who literally experience their life together with another person, because it, the film keeps coming back to the Siamese this this, this uh, recounting of Siamese twins who inevitably end up dying together and. Um, Which makes me think, especially too from the intro that we get to see that nice, you know, medieval, you know, Shakespearean style paintings that they were actually Siamese twins. That's why they're so connected and kind of referred to it. Yeah, and and you know he has that that uh, dream where they're connected, which is pretty much the film's only like real body horror element of like that that connection, Siamese connection um, together. Uh, I don't know, like. Like you said, I'm not sure if that's just an implication or if that was truly meant to be what Cronenberg was getting at. But I do think the end of the movie kind of draws it back towards that. Like whether they were really Siamese twins or not, the the um, singular entity that they are, that they become, is what happens towards the end of the movie. They both experience the same things and it leads to their deaths. And they literally cannot live without the other there's a symbiotic relationship going on there that is and 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 the film also kind of brings up these interesting um allusions to the fact that is there incest here is there is there a form of incest going on is there like a homo homo uh, homoerotic um incestual relationship because of their like feminine names and the fact that Claire brings that up at one point, she's like, Oh, you're, you're both, you know, you both have female names and that really drives Beverly off the edge. Like he like kind of freaks out about that. And, and, you know, I'm not sure if that was intentional or, or what is going on with that. But there is also that question of, you know, two grown men living with each other um, and sharing women and, and at one point, having almost having a threesome together like is there an incestual relationship going on there very uh very yeah, weird way, things I going the, on i say the way that they were dancing and they're kind of like you know with, with elliot's girlfriend or whatever she is to him and as Beverly's kind of like dancing with her, you know, he's coming up from behind, and so they're like, you know, sandwiching this yeah. poor woman. Yeah. And, Can you, you imagine know, though being Carrie in that situation? The girlfriend is like very, very strange. Like, you know, but she's kind of on board with it. She's like, all right, two for the price of one. All right. All right. It's just a, like, for her too, that's a weird dynamic. Like, these two live together in it. She's almost, she almost like trades them off too, because there's that one scene where Beverly's in the bathroom and he's, she's like comes in and she's like totally like just got a robe on, but completely naked underneath. And she's like, are you going to use the shower? <laughs> you know, kind of like sexually. Uh, it's a really weird dynamic that they have going on in this, um, this shared apartment. What do you think about the, um, the mutant surgical equipment that uh, Beverly has built by uh, Stephen Lack in this. He's Stephen Lack's like a, a metal worker. He's like a, a, like an experimental artist who's building like these metal art pieces. And he goes to this guy cause he's the only one that would understand in quotes uh, what Beverly's trying to do with these, with this equipment. what do you think about that? 
It's like one. It's one of the few like Cronenbergian uh, connections with this film. Like you know, with like the dream sequences, like the two like dream sequences that Beverly has, where you know he's having a nightmare, and you get a little bit of the body horror, the kind of shapes and look of these uh, surgical tools that he has made is you know very Cronenbergian too, because it's very you know sleek and horror-esque. Yeah, they're like they're like chunky and like they're all. Like, really things that you would not want to have inserted anywhere. (laughs) Don't insert it in any of my holes. Is what I'm sure people are thinking. But the one that it keeps coming back to is this, like, like finger needle thing. That, like, has, like, a... Almost like a... um, I don't know. Like, hydraulic (laughs) mechanism to it. And uh, it's pretty strange. And he actually uses it on someone and, like... You could have killed her. We had to stitch her back up, and they're 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 allowing us to remain at the hospital if we never practice here again. Yeah, it's 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 a really like I I I like the idea of this this um, guy who's kind of gone off the deep end because um, he now sees mutation in every woman, and that's partially because Claire has he thinks Claire has cheated on him. She's corrupted him. Yep. And so this mutant woman has corrupted him. And so now every woman has something wrong with her. And so he builds these mutant instruments to correct it. Um, but it, but again, too, it's the idea of correcting something that's kind of mutated in all of us. You know, everybody has something like has a mutation inside of them, whether it be physical or mental. And for Beverly, you know, he has a mental mutation. He's literally mutated from being a very smart, very prestigious doctor to a drug addict who is being kicked out of his hospital practice and really won't have anything to do with medicine anymore. And I like, I mean, I, I, I think all these ideas are really interesting, um, especially for me being in medicine. I think the whole idea of the GYN practice and stuff is, is really cool. And I, I think Dead Ringers is um, a slow burn. It's something that probably people won't want to watch. You know, like, no one's going to say, like, I'm in the mood for some for something really interesting. Pop in Dead Ringers. Like, it's something that you have to really be in the mood for and be want, like, an interesting, thought-provoking movie. But if you, if that's the case, then I would recommend Dead Ringers as another movie that's sort of in the wheelhouse of, like, uh, thought-provoking suspense or what what I think people call um, movies now like uh, what do they call those um, uh, un, in like heightened horror or um, that's a new term yeah or yeah they, they call it like heightened or elevated horror because it's the term for like the a24 movies that are like a little bit more thought-provoking than just like regular slasher movies yeah. I, I would I would say I would say too when it comes to like uh, why you want to watch this movie, Jeremy Irons is the reason to watch this movie. Absolutely, he, he is the the whole fucking show in this in this movie. And uh, no no offense to the, his counterparts in it, but it literally is the Jeremy Irons show. It's a one man play. Everyone else is just there to be props. And you know, props to him too because I'm sure that this part was very difficult to do. 
you know, we we it's it's easy to watch it and be like, oh wow, great. But but he, literally, you know, he's performing by himself or like with someone else who's just reading the lines, like yes. And then Ellie says, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, it, I it's very impressive to see him put in such a performance, and yet he's the only one doing it. <laughs> you know, there's no other Jer- there's no Jeremy Irons on the other side delivering the other lines for him. It's just Dave Cronenberg coldly reading. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> reading the lines off to him. And then Ellie does this. this is... <laughs> and Ellie does that. Yeah, no, it's a guy with a nice Canadian, thick Canadian accent reading, reading off the, the script. Speaking of accents, Jesus Christ, this man's born in Toronto. These twins are born in Toronto and go to school in America, and he's got this nice, thick English accent. I know. I was thinking that too. Like he belongs on the BBC. <laughs> like yeah, where where did that come from? Where did like, you pick you know, that up from? They should have had like a park because when we see like them in the beginning, it's twins walking around. Like maybe they just moved into town from you know Britain. I know. Uh, yeah, there's nothing really to explain it. It's just like we got Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons has an accent. You'll put up with it. <laughs> Right. What did I say? What did you think too about the whole opening with the twins walking around and being like, "The only reason people have sex is because fish have sex in the water by laying eggs, and we have no water, so we gotta thrust and bust." <laughs> I mean, it's kind of interesting because you know it does set up set up the whole idea of um, them going into this practice of you know seeing. Well, I mean, I guess. One of them does, right? Seeing women for their biological processes rather than their um, sexual, what, what, what they can provide sexually, except Ellie does. You know, that's, that's sort of the thing that uh, is really kind of grody about Dead Ringers is that he's actually, like, seeing these women into practice and then, you know, bedding them down. It's like, I would think that, you know, as an OBGYN, there, there would be a, definitely a line where you cross where you're like, I just saw this woman has... Vaginal fungus. Uh, I'm not really interested in pursuing that sexually, right? Like, you have to put a fine line because otherwise, like, you're looking at, you know, all kinds of weird issues, you know, with with a woman in her. You, I almost feel like that'd be like automatic. Like, I mean, it's not called like, uh, it's not called this, but like disbarment. Like, you know, like in the oh, law sure, profession, sure. you think you think like that'd it, be yeah, like right up there. Like, hey, certainly by the way. ethically, uh, <laughs> ethically, um, I don't know, gray area. But I, I do think that there's probably some, some uh, issues with that. Like, if that ever found out, like, hey, out of the, you know, 150 patients that you see, I see that you've had sex with about 100 of them. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little strange. No, and I think that's why this movie can be such a nightmare for women. Because not only does it, you know, do you have, like, these really uh, awkward and, and uh, disturbing uh, GYN visits in the movie, but you also have that distrust of your male gynecologist, of, of this guy who's supposed to be there for you, for your health, and yet he's on the side trying to get with you like that that is definitely a thing that i think women think about when they, especially when they go to male gynecologists like just think about that like you're going to a male gynecologist who's literally going into the, like the most private parts and you're trusting that they're like not going home and saying like oh this lady with the the big vulva you know 
here or like whoa you see those hooters on that woman <laughs> you know like in the gynecologist's office you're you're trusting that this guy is not just going to be like your normal guy right so it's i think this that, movie is a nightmare for women as i said not only that i think the fact the fact too that we see elliot you know he wines and dines and beds them first and then passes them off to uh beverly <clears throat> when claire finds that out like the disgust and horror like like that's a rape mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> right because it's 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 ultimately her not not knowing that it is a completely different person and i do like that scene where she's in the restaurant and knowing like right away she's like i know which one is which and i know which one i was with <laughs> you know like because you can immediately tell they have very the, the you know jeremy irons looks the same but he has different styles when he's Ellie versus Bev and different uh, acting. And again, that's a testament to um, Jeremy Irons that when you get further into the movie, you can tell which is which. Because he does such a good job staying in character for both of those characters. Um, But that's a really great scene where she's like figuring out, like, I, I know which I know it was both of you. And she's completely disgusted. Uh, and throws the water in Bev's face. Not only that, too, we get to see her, you know, uh, when she first meets Beverly and they kiss and stuff. And the way they kiss, she's, like, touching her lip, like, you know. And the way, like, he held her, he's like, that's not the same as, you know. Right, right, right. As the night before. Yep. And there's, you know, it's, (laughs) I do like like that, too. When he, when Bev first goes to the apartment and he shows up and she's like, wow, last night, like, was so amazing. Uh, and, he, you know, he's kind of got to live up to that. I love, <laughs> I really like that moment. Where he's kind of like, oh. <laughs> She's like, what did you do to me? He's like, I don't know. Like, you know, normal normal stuff. Tied you to a bed and put some forceps onto the yeah <laughs> the surgical tube. Then I tied you down. Yep. <laughs> Um, that's pretty much all I got for the, for the movie. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add? I think it's about it. Um, all right. So. This uh, is considered a top ten Canadian film of all time, by the way. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. I, that is interesting to me. Like, Canadians are, like, going out of their way for David Cronenberg. You know, I mean, I know that Cronenberg is, you know, Canadian, and they, they are very, um... Um, passionate about their Canadian filmmakers and Canadian musicians and uh, it's kind of weird for us to uh, think about too because you know primarily everything that we watch uh, is American except for like Are You Afraid of the Dark and some other (laughs) stuff like that but a lot of what we watch is American or at least American produced you know we might film in Canada but we're like yeah we film in Canada because of the tax shit you know Uh, but but it's it's American um but like for Canadians, you know, primarily a lot of what they watch is American with a smattering of Canadian. It's kind of backwards for us. So I guess it makes sense that you would really hold your Canadian filmmakers high. And I just think it's interesting that Dead Ringers is that movie for them. Top 10. It's in the top 10. I haven't heard of a single other one of these films in this top 10, though. Oh, <laughs> well, there you have it then. That's why. <laughs> The other ones are, eh. All right, so on a scale of 0 to 10, Danuta, 
<laughs> what would you give such Dead a, Ringers? Such a ridiculous name. <laughs> I give it a seven and a half out of ten. It's a really enjoyable film. I liked it. It's an interesting concept. The gynecological aspect of it is, you know, kind of unsettling, but uh, it's a Cronenberg staple. Uh, I like the way he ties in his body horror because in this one like even though it's like the most minimalistic of them all it's well done and uh the psychological aspects of it ring pretty true jeremy irons is terrific in this he's literally the whole reason to watch this movie because he's fantastic throughout it's an interesting idea well shot i think eventually even though it is a slow burn I think two hours is a little too long. Um, there's definitely like in the end, like the second act could have been trimmed down because there's a lot of fucking falter all going on in it, um, <clears throat> you know, and a lot of kind of re- repetition to some of the beats that they're hitting throughout that act of like you know the drug addiction and loneliness that Beverly's feeling. You know, it kind of keeps going on repeat for a little bit. And, borders on tedium um other than that i do think it's a really good film uh i would definitely say it wraps up our review part of cronenberg quite nicely um and as you said earlier i think you know it's definitely if you're gonna watch this movie you kind of you're gonna have to be in the mood for it it's not gonna be one that you're gonna want to ever pop down and you know pop on all the time and put it on the background but it is a film that is worthy of your time, has interesting ideas that are definitely different, and you're going to get a memorable experience out of it. So I'd say a seven and a half. Yeah, I would agree with that. Seven and a half for me as well. I think that this movie is really interesting. It has a lot of great themes to it. There's a lot going on, even though it's a very slow build. Um, and it has a lot of varying themes to it that I think really makes it interesting, even though sometimes it is pretty minimal. Uh, Jeremy Irons does a great job here as Bev and Ellie. Um, Cronenberg offers up a lot of things to think about in the script, and um, I think Genevieve Buhold does a really good job, too, as Claire, um, to point her out, too. Uh, I think that the the movie doesn't have a lot of outright body horror elements to it, but if you think about it, a lot of it is very horrific and disturbing, um, especially for women. with the gynecological aspect to it, the ethical uh, issues with Jeremy Irons' characters, uh, I think that this is, you know, it's intrinsically horrific to the body, thinking about the body, um, thinking about the potential for mutation in your body that you may have and not really even realize it. Um, All of those things are like body horror that is just not on screen uh, or not explicit. And I think that, you know, that's really interesting to me because just before this, we got a lot of explicitness from Cronenberg with his body horror. Here, he's kind of taking it a step back and doing a more thought-provoking um, body horror idea. So I think that this movie does a really good job with all of that. Like you said, I do think it runs a little long, two hours, a little bit too long for this. I think it could have been cut down probably an hour and 45 minutes would have been sufficient. Um, I think that there's like a lot of some some meandering throughout the the second act, um, the, the quicker we get to that third act, um, where it kind of devolves into craziness, 
I think the better. So cutting a little bit of that out would have been uh, fine. But I think the, the movie does a really good job with everything else. And I do think that it does need some time to build on those themes that it has um, and that it's that are playing out in this movie. Um, just maybe not to the extent that it is in this movie right now at two hours. And I don't think, you know, this again, this isn't a movie that you're going to just be like, let's throw dead ringers on. I love this movie. We're going to, you know, I've seen it 40 times. It's not one of those movies, but it certainly is a good movie. And I do recommend watching it because I think it's one of Cronenberg's better movies and thought provoking thrillers. All right. So that's dead ringers. Um, we have one more episode in store for you before Halloween is over because we're going to be covering Halloween ends uh, for the next episode. Halloween ends. We end the trilogy from David Gordon Green. Which, and, you know, is annoying because, again, the last film, they tagged it as Evil Dies Tonight. Well, you can't have a third film if Evil is supposed to die that night. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see what happens. And, again, I have not really seen spoilers for this movie. I don't really look... I didn't really watch trailers about it. I didn't really, you know, get a storyline. I don't really know too much about it on purpose because I don't I don't want to know. I just want to go into it not knowing too much. I do know that the majority of people haven't liked it. Um, and we've kind of been holding out. I did want to try to go see it in theaters. It looks like that's probably not going to happen. So we're going to watch it on Peacock. But um, I, I now seeing all of the... Um, the negativity around it, and also thinking about how much I really didn't enjoy Halloween Kills that much. I'm not super excited about it, but I will check it out because I, I have to. I have to see what happens. Listen, if you made it through six, you can make it through this. That's true. That's true. I Are you going to try to watch uh, at least Halloween Kills before you go into this one? I'm going to try. I'm going to try as well. Like, I don't, I don't really feel like I need to watch Halloween again, like, you know, the 2018 one. I do think I need to watch Halloween Kills because even though I just watched it, I don't really remember it that well. And I think I, that's because I kind of kind of lost interest in it. I remember we did our episode and we didn't like it. I remember Iron Lady because that's always been a meme. But I don't really I don't remember a whole lot about that movie. So I think I need to watch it again before I watch Halloween Ends. Um, since this episode is going up late too, I'm not sure exactly when we're going to have that episode done, but it will definitely be before the end of Halloween. So just keep an eye out. Probably maybe this Friday. I'm not, I don't know, but we'll see. All right. So that's it for Craven some Cronenberg. Um, I think you pretty much already ranked like your, your films, like in the earlier part of the episode, but, uh, I guess to to go over it again, and I'm I don't know if that we really need to compare Craven and Cronenberg together, <laughs> but um, I'll go over some of my favorites because you are, you kind of already did yours. So um, for from Craven, um, the first one, Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, love it. That's a again, like you said, a point for Craven there. Um, I, my wife has kind of been disparaging a Nightmare on Elm Street because she kind of watched it with me, and I just I you know I'm we're divorcing so. Um, <laughs> You won't take any John Saxon. <laughs> that's that's right. Household. That's right. We won't have that. Uh, I already have the paperwork ready. Um, let's see. What else do we do? The Last House on the Left, I thought was okay. Not his best work um, and not as what I think people, you know, like not as um, uh, groundbreaking as, as some people have said. But I, I thought it was okay. 
Um, then we did Deadly Friend, which I really did not care for that much. I thought it was all right, but like the themes are all over the place. The 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 mood is all over the place. You know, occasionally it's um, like uh, like a family sitcom almost, and then other times, you know, goes straight up horror. It was kind of all over the place, so not not really for me. And then we did My Soul to Take, which again, not not a very good good movie and it sits really in the same vein for me as like cursed um another one of craven's later output which um you know just were not really good movies in my opinion um then, jump scares for you yeah exactly <laughs> just you know just, uh very very mo- like modern-esque horror um and modern-esque i guess in the 2000s era um so for cronenberg um, we did, uh, what was the first one we did? Rabbit. Rabbit, that's right. Rabbit. Um, Rabbit thought was okay. Um, more, liked it more than you did. Uh, I don't think it's Cronenberg's best work by any means, but I, I thought it was fine. Um, then we did, uh, Scanners. And I like Scanners. I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, you know, again, not as, not Cronenberg's best work. But a pretty good movie, and it has some good body horror to it, uh, so so pretty good there. Um, then we did um, uh, Videodrome. Love Videodrome. It's one of my favorite Cronenbergs. I think maybe one of his best movies. Um, great body horror to it. Um, James Woods, still a dick, but in this movie, <laughs> does a pretty good job. Uh, so... Love Videodrome. And then Dead Ringers, I think, is a really good movie as well. Uh, would would definitely recommend to others. Very weird. Very Cana- very Canadian. Um, check it out. So, that's a rundown of our Craven Some Cronenberg. Hope you enjoyed it. If you, if you did, let us know what we should do for next Halloween. Um, I'm almost thinking it would be kind of fun next Halloween to forego movies entirely and do like anthology episodes or like um halloween episodes of of shows uh so like halloween episode of hey arnold or something oh, like i was that. just about you know to say mean? that god damn it oh, like, stuff like that would be kind of fun to to tackle i would love to see maurice lamarche play the guy that's supposed to be like Orson Welles. Mm. <laughs> we might even be able to do like more episodes because they would probably be shorter, right? Because you you know if you got a half hour TV show or something, and you're doing a a show on. We, 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 we could do be like the new Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, that's or you could do like terrible. three in an episode or something like that. You know what I mean? I think that would be kind of fun. So thoughts for next Halloween? You can let us know at our email, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Do you know my lock lock change? That's right. <laughs> um, so, with that, because he said that, uh, a lot can change. Uh, we are going to end this podcast, and I'll let you know where all of our social stuff is. Uh, we are on uh, pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, our home base at anchor.fm, uh, Good Pods. Wherever you listen, leave us a nice review. Uh, we really appreciate that. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Type it in. Um, we have our email address, which I said before, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. And you can also um, send us some money on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We'll use that for beer. Don't worry. Get new beer for the show. So 
Thanks in advance. Uh, thanks for listening to our Cravensome Cronenberg series of episodes uh, this Halloween. Hope you had a good Halloween with us. Uh, appreciate you coming out. And if you're still hankering for more Halloween episodes, we have like so many. I don't, I don't even know how many we have now, but I'm going to guess at least Enough. 20. Hold at on. least 20 Halloween episodes. Listen to all our Saw episodes, especially the uh, Casas Mandalore trilogy. There's Actually, you know what? I'm way wrong. There's way more than 20 because there's like eight Saws, like 10 Halloweens. Uh, you know, we did an Halloween. There's way more than 20. So I'm, <laughs> that was a conservative estimate. We're going 40. There's at least 40 episodes out there. A so, quarter of our output. Yeah, pretty much. to Halloween. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go and go and back and listen to those. And uh, we hope to see you next year for, for our next Halloween festivities. And we hope to see you for our next episode where we finish out Halloween with Halloween Ends. So uh, until then. Take care. <laughs>